You know what I want to do? I want us to gather at the altar today after the message and just love on the Lord. I want to love on the Lord. I want to get back into the message we had last week. Uh, we're in a series of messages called First Things First, and I want to talk about our first love, our first love. All right. So Revelation chapter two, Revelation chapter two. And uh, this is a message. And, and that's that's a cool thing about Revelation. Revelation is the, 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 the message from Jesus. You think about that. Think, think of this when you read Revelation, think of it as Jesus himself writing. And we really should think of the whole word that way. Right. But we know that Paul wrote books, Peter wrote books, John. But this is this is a message from Jesus. And this, this letter that we're going to read today is a letter to the church at Ephesus, and it is Jesus speaking to the church at Ephesus. And so in Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor your patience, and that you, bear the, you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say that they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you've persevered and have patience and labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come and quickly remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. Each one of these letters comes with a promise to him who overcomes. Amen. God intends for us to overcome. Amen. We're an overcoming people. He causes us to triumph in all things. Amen. We're an overcoming people. How do we overcome? There you go. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. There's a presentation of Jesus here. And if we see that, it's the key to overcoming. These things who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Jesus, so the seven stars are, are they're defined in the book of Revelation. They're, they're the seven churches that he's addressing here in these first, or second and third chapters of this book. They're, they're the seven churches. So the, it's the seven stars. And, and then, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, those are the, the messengers to the church. And, and then the, the golden lampstands are the church themselves. This is actually decoded in the book. It tells us this. So we know that those, those uh, lampstands are the churches. And how does he identify? This is Jesus. How does he identify himself? He is the one who is in the midst of the church. Right? How many of you want Jesus in our midst? How many of you know he's here? How many of you have felt the presence of the Lord this morning? There's, I believe, a tangible, I, I, I've grown up sensing that. I know the presence of the Lord. I, I know what it is to feel him move in and out amongst his people. I, I know what it is to feel the, 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 the touch of God on your life. Like, tangibly, there, there's something you know that God is doing in you 
God is here. God's presence is real. Amen? And he desires to dwell amongst his people. Right? See, this Christian life is about relationship. Right? And if God, God's not here and if we're not showing up to meet with God, we're just going through religious routines. Amen? Right? But God is here. My wife was telling them the joke and I had to come and save the day this week. She, she started telling the joke and then missed the punchline. She forgot the punchline, so she had to call, me, call on me. This is Wednesday night, the Bible said she had to call on me to bring the punchline. But the, the joke goes like this. There's a guy who showed up at church for the first time, and this is one of, how many of you all remember those churches with the preparation rooms, like where you had to go get ready to be right to go to church. Like there was a preparation room where, like if you didn't wear a tie, they had a tie. For, anybody grow up with that? I've seen that happen. It's a shame, but that's the reality. that There's that kind of stuff going on out there. But it was one of these kinds of churches, and so this guy comes in in his cowboy boots, his blue jeans, and a white T-shirt, right? And the, the, the preacher's grieved. He sees this guy come in like this. So after church, he goes to him, and he tells him, hey, I want you, glad you're here. Thank you for coming, but I want you to go home this week and pray and ask the Lord how you should come back next week. So he does. He goes home and comes back the next Sunday, and guess what? He's wearing his blue jeans, his cowboy boots, and his white T-shirt. And he said, hey... Brother, I appreciate you being here and coming back a second time, but I want you again to go home and pray and ask the Lord how you should come back next week. Week three, he comes back. He's wearing his blue jeans, his white T-shirt, his cowboy boots. I mean, the preacher is livid now. And he goes directly to him. Before the service even starts, he goes directly to him. And he said, I thought I told you to go home and pray and ask the Lord how you ought to come back. And he said, well, I did. And he said, well, what did the Lord say? And he said, I, I had, wouldn't have a clue. I've never been there. Oh, have you ever been to church and wondered if the Lord was there? The Lord desires to be in the midst of his people, right? Not only that, he wants to walk with us. This thing of Christianity is about relationship. This is not some new religion or like, like the other religions. This is a standalone relationship with the living God through Christ Jesus and what he's done on the cross. Amen? Praise God. That's why we don't have to go and pray to, to the patron saints, right? Because we have a relationship with an advocate whose name is Jesus Christ, the man Christ Jesus, who makes intercession at the right hand of the Father. At all times, he's praying for us, and we have a direct line and relationship with our Savior. Amen? This isn't just some religion. It is a relationship. Amen. And so these folks, I think, had gotten and did some, some study and research this week about the church at Ephesus. And I don't want to get too much into the history of it. But these folks had gotten into routine. The, the Lord actually commended them because they were doing a lot of things right. Right. They were they were doing a lot of good works. They had rejected false doctrine. They had uh, put the, 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 the false apostles who had come in amongst them, they, it, the, the word there says that they had literally put them to a test, like to prove them, amen? And you, you need to do that. You, you need to not just listen to YouTube preachers or not just put things on the radio or the television and take that into your spirit. You need to prove that they are indeed of God, that they're declaring that, that what they're saying is lining up with the word of God. Amen. You've got to, you need to prove uh, whether or not people are who they say they are. We should. We should test all spirits. I believe that. And they've done that. They've done a lot of good stuff. In fact, he says, I know your works. Like that, that word works is like all of the effort of your life. That's literally what that word means. 
How many of you know God knows your works? Like every deed done, God knows it. So we're, we're not deceiving him, right? We're not dece deceiving him with our every third Sunday attendance. We're, we're not deceiving him going for months without reading our Bible. We're, we're not deceiving him when our hearts are cold towards him in worship. He knows our works, the good and the bad. Amen. God knows it and he still loves us. That's amazing. Right. I remember back in the day, Kanye West, y'all remember it was probably what, two, three years ago when like he was going public for Jesus, Jesus is king and making all of these pronouncements that he's a follower of Jesus. And then all of the people in the church started to criticize him. And I'm not here to criticize him or uh, condone him, accept him. I'm not just making a point here. But it was actually my friend Dwayne Lowe that's sitting here on the second row. He was watching all this criticism coming at Kanye from the church. And he said, I'm not surprised, surprised, as surprised that Jesus would save Kanye as I am that he would save me. Right? We should. We shouldn't look at anybody and be surprised that God saved them. But when we look at ourselves, we know. Right? I mean, how, why, why does he love me? If you knew what you, I, I know about me, how could you love me? Right? What's the point? God, God knows our works and we're not fooling him. He knows our works. I think the, the, the Ephesian church, they love their works, right? They, they loved their theology, but they had fallen out of love with their savior. We can do good works. We can have all of our theology in line and we can miss God, right? God's saying to him, you love your good works, you love your theology more than you love me. They had let secondary things become primary. We're talking about first things first. What is the primary thing? Our walk with Jesus. Our relationship with Christ has preeminence above all. And if we don't get that right, nothing else will be right. Right? It's about having the first thing first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. All of these things will come into order. Right? See, they had a right uh, behavior. They had a right motive, or I'm sorry, a, a right, right behavior, a, a right belief, but they had a wrong motive. Coming back to what I said before we took our offering uh, a few minutes ago, the only pure Christian motive is love. Love has to motivate everything that we do in our Christian walk. It has to. If love doesn't motivate all of our action, all of our life, all of our living, all of our walking before the Lord, then everything in our life is going to get out of place. It's all going to get out of sorts. It's all about love. What, what had happened? This, this church of Ephesus it was, it was a mighty church. This church, and, and, and started by Apostle Paul, the apostles uh, worked there, labored there. They, this church, as, as you study history, you see that it grew to be a great church. They probably didn't meet in a, in a cathedral or in a massive hall, but usually they probably met from house to house. It was a big group of believers that were meeting from house to house and their faith spread through the city in that way. 
They didn't have the large corporate gatherings, but they came together in homes, probably in 12, 15, 18, maybe into the 20s of people. They would gather in homes. And this church was so strong at one point that it affected the, the, the sell of idols, the trading of, of idols. See, this Ephesus was a city in, in, in uh, t- terms of uh, the, the, the Romans and the Greeks. It was a, a, a great city of idolatry. There were about a quarter of a million people in the this, this city of Ephesus. And there were probably at least 30. And the, the ruins are there. They, 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 you can actually go there and look at it and see where a lot of these great buildings were at. But there were probably 30 uh, temples built to idols all around the city. Where's our commitment? Seriously, where's our commitment level with the Lord? I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole teaching of Jesus or the New Testament or the Old Testament. I just want to hit a couple of highlights, hit a few easy ones. Let's talk first things first. First day of the week is, are we giving the first day to the Lord? Where are we in American church culture where we've got to check the culture calendar to determine whether or not we're going to be at church on Sunday morning? You got six days to take care of business. And we can't give God the one. The world doesn't, in fact, the world don't like um, Christians or Jews. True story, Henry Ford hated Christians and Jews. Did you know that? Because of the Christians and the Jews, he got a five-day work week, and he hated it. He wanted his businesses open. His, his factory is open, building cars seven days a week. So he hated Christians and Jews. Historical fact. You can go study it. Can we honor God with a day? I thank God that there are at least one corporation, and I know they're not perfect. But everybody loves that Jesus chicken. You know what I'm talking about? Thank God for a business that so closes on Sunday. Let me encourage you to give the Lord a day. Let me encourage you. What, let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. I need, to, I need to preach this. Is this all right? Well, I, I stayed home and live streamed it. Perfect analogy for this. How many of you all have ever had the fireplace going at Christmas? So we're getting further and further away from that. In our cold, and, and if you live in Texas, look, my dad on Christmas Day used to build a fire in the fireplace. We lived in San Antonio, Texas. It was not unusual to be 86 on Christmas Day. Like sometimes we got 56, but it was more likely to be 70s or 80s, Christmas Day. And my dad, built, he, he would put the logs in and then he would put almost, well, as much of the Christmas wrapping paper as he could get stuffed into the fireplace. Hayes family tradition, dad almost burned the house down every year. Now, now what do we do? We, we put the television on with a Yule log. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Somebody made the comparison, going, going to television, or, or I'm sorry, going to what, watching the live stream of the service is like having the Yule log in your living room. You don't get any warmth. When we come and we sit together, and we can hug one another, and we can lay hands on one another, and we can lift our hands together, and we praise corporately, and we hear the word of the Lord, and the preacher has a chance to lay hands on us, it's impactful. 
Something transpires that is significant and important when we come to the house of the Lord. I haven't read the scripture yet. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Church is like your Christmas presents. Some assembly required. We got to get together. It's essential. I, I, I got a friend who pastors in Temecula, California. In 2020, during COVID, he changed the name of his church to Essential Church. I love it. And he refused to, to close the church, and he said, our church is essential. Amen. I love it. I love it. How many of y'all were here last Sunday? Worship was awesome. It was amazing. Average age of our worship team, 20, maybe. It was cool. Three of my boys, where's Austin? And that young man, and Miss Shannon up here on the stage, leading us into the presence of the Lord. Can you, can you put the picture from last Sunday up there? That's what it looked like last Sunday. I'm blessed to have kids that love Jesus. But I want to tell you that that's not an accident. My wife put this up this week on social media, and I was blown away, almost brought to tears when I saw it. But there's another picture from 2011. Let's put that picture up. There's the Hayes brothers, Noah, Jensen, and Nathan. My 14-year-old wakes up every single morning, every single morning, before everybody else but me. And he gets his Bible out on his own. He reads his Bible, reads through his devotional book. He writes notes in a journal. Nathan, my middle, he's the dark-headed one on the drums there. Maybe not so much on that Bible devotion stuff, but I'm going to tell you about Christian character that tells me that he's walked with Jesus. Folks, I want to say this. It's, it's not an accident. Noah, how many times have you missed church on a Sunday morning? What's that? Louder. Zero. It's probably not true. He's probably missed three. Sickness or something like that. But pretty close to zero. We can go around to all of my kids. They'll tell you the exact same thing. My kids have never once in my lifetime asked, can I stay home from church today? Never. And I'm not, listen, I'm not up here trying to brag or try to be some kind of hero. I'm saying that it makes a difference. I made a commitment a long time ago. Dwayne, Dwayne and I, Dwayne Lowe, wave at everybody. He's the guy that opened up this morning. Go way, way back, 25 years friendship and he knew my grandfather his name was J.P. Fender 
And within a month of my encounter with God, when he called me into ministry, it's the same point that, that it was the same week when he delivered me from alcohol. I went over to my grandfather's house to till up his garden. And my grandfather lived adjacent to our church property. The church that I grew up in had bought, my, my uncle was the pastor, and they had bought um, several acres of land where they were, and they built, they built the sanctuary today. But they were, they were, they had a vision at that point to build a church. And I went over there with my tiller and unloaded it at grandpa's, I walked out into the backyard with it, and I found my grandfather out behind his fence, out in the church property. He had a machete and a push mower and a rock bar. And he was clearing the church property. This man was 80-something years old. He saw me and he came up to me and he said, uh, we're going to build a church here one day. And before I die, this, this lot's going to be clean enough to mow with a push mower. And sure enough, he got it there. But before I got my tiller going and started working, my grandfather had a conversation that changed my life. He was not a preacher, but he was a great man of God. He was an old farmer. He was an old railroad engineer. Hardworking guy. When I, and I, I would often get dropped off at the school bus and stay with my grandparents, and I knew that what was going to happen at Grandpa's. We were going to watch the Cubs or the Cardinals. He was from southern Illinois, living in Texas. So we are going to watch the Cubs and the Cardinals. He was going to get, or if it was in a baseball game, he was going to give me a Western book to read. Zane Gray. Louis L'Amour. We were going to talk about baseball, horses, cattle, or his favorite topic, Jesus. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. I learned that scripture from my grandfather with many, many others. But I, my, I remember every time my grandfather would say that, he would say, you know what that means? He says, get close to God, and he'll get close to you. And he would laugh and slap his leg. And I'm standing there in his backyard, and he said, you know what, Chad? He said, I probably have lived my life too worldly. And this was his definition. He gave me his definition of worldly. Too many baseball games and rodeos and horse sales. That was his definition of worldly. I've probably gotten too worldly. And then he told me about a, a, a friend of his. His name was Jake. He was a jockey. And they, they went to, my, my grandparents went to church with Jake and his wife. And one Sunday night they went to church. And Jake wasn't there. And so he asked his wife, where's Jake at? And she said, he's out in the woods. And I imagine when Jesus comes back, she'll leave him out there. He'll, he'll leave him out there. And then he said, you know, son, God's called us to be holy. We're his own peculiar treasure. He loves us. And we're to live a life that's called out and marked by God. That will change you. My grandfather was never a preacher, but he's got generations today serving the Lord, faithfulness. My uncle was an evangelist. He'd been preaching all over the nation. He came home to my grandfather's house. He, had, he was wore out. He'd been traveling. He, he drove like 
I think he drove from Bakersfield, California to Illinois without stopping. And so on Sunday morning, when my grandfather knocked to wake him up, he decided he was going to stay in bed. Now, he's a preacher. He said he decided he was going to stay in bed. My grandpa knocked on the door again. Steve, it's time to get up. Dad, I'm sleeping and I'm tired. He just got home Saturday, driving from California. He opened the door and he said, Steve, if you're in my house, you're going to church. Get up. My uncle showed up at church. My grandfather's pastor asked him to preach, and they broke out into revival that went on for weeks. That's been taught. That's been handed down to me. That's why I don't miss church, because I know that it makes a difference. If God's house doesn't mean something to me, it will not mean anything to my children. And I'm not talking about a religious routine. And I assure you, I've gotten into that, and I have been probably at times a horrible example Bad attitude to my kids. But when I get there, you know what I do? What did he call them to do? You've fallen from your first love. Repent. That simply means just to turn around back to God. I'm tired of doing it my way. Tired of blowing your commandments. I'm coming back. The goodness of God. I've preached way, way longer than I wanted to. So that's church attendance. Real, real quick, Matthew 6, 2, Jesus said, when you give. Matthew 6, 5, he says, when you pray. Matthew 6, 16, he says, when you fast. Is it hard to give? Is it hard to come to church faithfully? Is it hard to pray? Is it hard to fast? Hey, you, you would skip a meal for that woman when you were in love, wouldn't you? So you'd get off work early and pick her up early. You'd skip lunch. See, when we're in love with the Lord, it's not hard. It's not hard. Let's stand together. John, and I would encourage everybody this week, here's your homework assignment. Go home and read 1 John, the first epistle of John. You, you can read it in 25 minutes. Go and read it. Read it every day if you can. I'm challenging us, church. I started a couple of, um, about a month ago, I guess. I'm challenging. Be faithful to church. Try it for six weeks and see what a difference it makes. If you're not a giver or a tither, try it. It's one of the things in the Bible God says, prove me. Bring your tithe and prove me. Try it. Maybe there's somebody in here you've never fasted in your life. Try it. I'm challenging us, church. I believe we should go all in for Jesus. I've done my very best 26 years. I've tried. A lot of days I've fallen on my face. For 26 years, I've been trying. I read a book about D.L. Moody when I was a baby Christian. And somebody made this statement about D.L. Moody. They said, Are you, are you, I'm sorry, D.L. Moody overheard somebody make this statement. It was a butcher. And he said, this world's never seen a man fully committed to the will of God. 
And D.L. Moody made a, a determination in that moment, I'm going to be that guy. And I'm sure D.L. Moody messed it up just as much as I have. But D.L. Moody changed the world. It's consecration. Commitment. Real love is inconvenience. It takes time and attention. Where's your love relationship with God? Listen, how much does God love you? The Bible says he sings over you. How much does God love you? The Bible says he's praying over you. How much does God love us? The Bible said he died for us. He's all in on us. That has to be our motivation. If that doesn't get you, check your cold stone, stony heart. God's all in on us. We, it's time to go all in on him. Amen. Here's what I want to do. If you're in this room and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come down to this altar and begin a relationship with the creator of the world. Start a relationship with the one who died for you. I said it a minute ago. We, we know, are we in Christ or out of Christ? We know. Are we saved or are we lost? We know. If you don't know, you need to know. I believe in blessed assurance. Amen? I believe that we can know that we are saved beyond the shadow of a doubt. People live their life, their Christian walk, wondering if they're going to make it to heaven. No. That's, that's not the way that God intends for us to live. He, he intends us, for us to live with a confidence, not in ourselves, but in what he has done for us. And his spirit empowering us. As we walk in relationship, our lives being changed and transformed. You know what the, the hardest part of our Christian walk is? It's the surrender. Because if we'll surrender, he'll do all of the work. Right? There's a whole other message we could have preached out of that text about works. It's just surrender. And so if you're ready to surrender today to Jesus Christ, I want you to come down to this altar, and I want to pray with you. My wife's going to play. Come on. Come on down.